You know, I am pretty sure that I have shared this story with you. Advent seasons gone by somewhere in the past. But I stumbled across it this week. And I think it is so hilarious. And it's from my favorite story category, which you know is truth. Truth is stranger than fiction. And it is true and it is just weird. The Sarasota Herald Tribune reported a number of years ago that a couple in Florida called the sheriff because their 37-year-old son had attacked his father. Now, the son allegedly first assaulted him with a three-foot Christmas tree, but found that insufficient. So then he tried to hit him with the tree's metal base. His mother and father were able to restrain him somehow until the deputies arrived. The son was charged with felony assault. What was the reason for the angry outbreak? Did I mention to you that this son was 37 years old? Okay, just want to make sure that you'd gotten that. The parents said this, quote, We told him, Why should we buy you an Xbox when you never even played with your PSP? And the next thing we knew, the tree was flying. That's kind of how I felt. Oh dear. I knew I wanted to slap someone, I just wasn't sure who I wanted to slap more. The kid or the parents? How's your gift giving going this year? (laughs) Buying the right gifts? Watch out for flying trees on Christmas Day. Don't you hear a story like that and just wonder how on earth? I mean, how do they get to that point? How does gift giving turn into a scenario like that? It's about gifts. Yeah? Well, on our Advent Sundays, we have been studying gifts together this season. We've considered what I think are some amazing gifts. And you won't find them in the mall. You won't find them on Amazon. They come from God. They cannot be purchased, but in fact, they are the result of living in a right relationship with God, which is what we were created for as human beings. And those gifts so far we have called hope, peace, and joy. They're three of the traditional themes of the Advent season, three out of the four, and this morning we want to consider the fourth one, and as you have heard already from our Advent candle lighters, it is the gift of of God's love. Amazing love. And even though it's, it's the last of the four gifts, at least in the order of, of the Advent tradition, I think truth is that it is, it is actually the first gift that is given by God. And like we did with, with hope and peace and joy, we want to root our understanding of love in the character of who God is. Because when we talk of love, when we talk of God's love, we are talking about a love that far surpasses our understanding of love in terms of our human interaction, our human relationships. It, 
it surpasses the highest standards of the very best of what human love has to offer. A few years ago, it's interesting, it, Yahoo compiled a list of, of the top ten words that, that web searchers want to define. And at the top of that list was the word love. So it's always kind of fun to, to push that a little bit further and, and look at some of the definitions of love that have been offered over time. Here are just a few. From the cynical category, love is a temporary insanity curable by marriage. Love is like a rhino, short-sighted but always willing to find a way. Love is a state of mind, which has nothing to do with the mind, really. And love is the triumph of imagination over intelligence. Okay, to a little more positive category. Love is the greatest refreshment in life. Love is a fabric, which never fades no matter how often it is washed in the water of adversity or grief. But I have to tell you, I think the best definitions are often offered by the children. A group of kids ages four through eight were asked, what is love? Listen to some of these. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time. Even when his hands got arthritis too, that's love. Another one said, love is when someone hurts you. And you get so mad, but you don't yell at them because you know it would hurt their feelings. Another, love is when you go out to eat and you give somebody most of your French fries without making them give you any of theirs. Ah, that's love. (laughs) And the last one, love is like a little old man and a little old woman who are still friends even after they know each other so well. The kids are on to it, my friends. Love is all about relationships and acting on someone else's behalf. Love is all about taking action for someone else. And so we're going to read together one last time our non-traditional Advent text from Romans 5. Now remember, I chose this text not just to be different, but surprised one day as I was reading through it to find that all of our Advent themes are in this text. They're all a result of what God has done. God has taken action on behalf of lost and broken humanity. And it's his activity that makes possible hope and joy, peace and love that are both life-transforming and are lasting. And so, let me just one last time remind you again that our text begins with that word, therefore, and we want to know what it's there for. And so, one quick reminder again, Paul has spent the previous four chapters, and I hope some of you as we've gone along have read those four chapters, leading up to chapter 5. He has spent those four chapters making the case for the lostness of humanity. Because there is resident in the heart of every human being a rebellious attitude that rejects God's rightful place in a person's life. Rightful place as creator, 
one who is deserving of worship and praise and thanks, Paul says that because that rebellion is resident in each heart, God's judgment is fair, it is righteous, it is deserved by all. He says no one seeks God and there is no hope for anyone. But suddenly, the topic of faith comes up as he moves his way through his letter. Hope comes when God takes action to make it possible for sinful people to be righteous. And that happens as a result of having faith or trusting or believing in what God has done through his son, Jesus. The one that we celebrate this time of the year, sent to earth, To live and to die and to take upon himself the sin of all humanity. So a sinful, hopeless person who is willing to admit their sin and put their faith in what God has done for them through Jesus receives the righteousness of Jesus and is restored, is reconciled back into the relationship for which they were created. That's where Paul has come to. And then we stand and we read together. So let's do that. Together. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. All right, Rachel, can we put that one verse or that one line back up? We just read these words. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, wide open question here. What does this statement say about God's love? 
powerful statement. So talk with your neighbor for just a minute or two. What is this statement saying about God's love? We'll leave it on the screen for you. Okay, we ready? We could go on and on and on, couldn't we? About this topic. But uh, what, what are those words in particular? God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What is that saying to us? What is it telling us about God's love? Who wants to share? Greg? Totally unselfish. Okay. Totally unselfish. Agape love. Yeah. Yeah. Unconditional. No prerequisites. Okay. Okay. What else? It's an action statement. Okay. More than just words. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What else? Anyone? Come on. Did you hear that? It wasn't because we were lovely or lovable. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that just a, a bit more. Good. Did you hear that back there? Speaks to God's character. It's hard for us to even forgive people who have hurt us. To, to be willing to die for an enemy... It just it speaks volumes of God's character. Correct. Such a good observation. Yeah, he didn't wait for us to get our act together. That just wasn't going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Anyone else? Yes. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Speaks to the value. Okay, okay. Value of humanity. I like that. It's, it, it's, it's truly stunning. It really is. If, if we allow ourselves to, to think as we should on it. Yeah. God's his, his love ought to be rather, I think, unnerving to us in the sense that, whoa, if he did this for me, what do I owe him? We don't like to think in those terms. And I don't say that in any legalistic sense. It's, it's a sense of, of the heart's response. Yeah, yeah. And you really don't get there until you're willing to take that step of faith and embrace it, begin to live into that love. Back to the relationship for which we were created. Not just accidental, but the one that we were designed for. And the tragedy that we all know, or many of us know to be true, is that we spend so much of our time pursuing in this life and through temporary things, those things that our soul longs for, those things that we were created for, those things that, that only God can give us as our creator. We, you've hit on some, some amazing truths about God's love. I think the most important words for me, or I should say maybe my, my favorite words in that, that statement, his own love. I love those words. His own love. Paul clearly wants to eliminate the possibility of misunderstanding the love that he's talking about. He doesn't say God demonstrates love for us because we all have an idea of what that is. That leaves too much room for personal interpretation and nuance. This is not my understanding or my experience of love that Paul is talking about here. It's not your understanding or your experience of love. He is referring to God's love. And specifically, and let's remember our our Trinitarian roots here, the love that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have been sharing with 
and for one another for all of eternity. That is the love of God. Love flows through the relationships of the Godhead, to use the old English word, and it flows from God. He's referring to love that comes from the source. The Apostle John would write later, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. John then goes on to say, God is love. He's saying that that love has its origin in God. The very existence of God, the very nature and character of God is what gives love meaning and definition. And Paul understands that as well. He understands how, how outrageous and how illogical God's love is compared to, to human love. And Heather, you hit on this in, in your comment. I think that's Paul's significance in, in using the rather hypothetical statements regarding people dying in the place of others. Someone would never volunteer to die for a righteous person because in the words of Paul, that righteous person would be a law-abiding person. That would be a person who is never convicted of wrongdoing. They would never be found on death row because they keep every point of the law. They never do wrong. Who needs to die for a person like that? Because they're never convicted. He says, well, but maybe for a good person, not a perfectly righteous, law-abiding person. That one could be convicted of a wrongdoing. They could find themselves sentenced to death. And depending upon the relationship, we've talked about love of parents for children. If it was a child, the relationship that that person has with others, they might be loved enough, they might be deemed valuable enough that maybe someone would offer to take their place. Maybe. Perhaps, Paul says. But God, says Paul. Those are two very important words. As we've read down through the text, it alerts us that there's a change in thought. Something important is coming here. But God demonstrates his own love. Because you see, in the justice system of a holy God, there is no one righteous, and good could never be good enough, and therefore everyone stands condemned. Everyone is guilty. But God demonstrates his own love, his own kind of love, love like no other, for us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are neither righteous nor good. We are sinners. Who dies for people who deserve to die? No one would do that. That's Paul's point. No one does. God does. You remember that commercial? It's been a number of years ago, Christmas time. It was a Lexus Christmas commercial. Husband leads his wife blindfolded in the living room. Brand new Lexus sitting there in the living room with a big red bow on it. Blindfold comes off. She looks at him with her eyes eyes wide open and says, where did you find a bow that big? 
I wanted to slap her too. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. You know, you, you, just, you have to laugh because she just so completely misses the enormity of the gift. Paul does not want God's people to miss the significance of what he is saying here. If you will, he doesn't want you to miss the Lexus that's under the bow, okay? The love of God is unbelievable. It truly is unbelievable. So let me just offer three truths this morning about God's love that are obvious from the text, obvious from our understanding of God's love as it is informed by other passages of Scripture. Many of us have heard these, and you know, and the truth is we, we know these. I know these. I, I know these like, like I need oxygen to survive. But there were moments this week when I was so much more keenly aware of that because it was really hard to breathe at some points. And suddenly you think, oh, I need to get more air. Well, we all know oxygen's important. We can't live without it. We all know that we need water to survive. We never think about that here. But when you take off on a mission trip to a country where there is no running water or the water that's running isn't safe to drink, suddenly you become more keenly aware of how necessary that water is to live. This falls into the same category. Truths that we know, and yet they are I think, more significant and more important than we sometimes really understand. First truth is this one. God loved us first. God loved us first. We know that, right? I mean, we we know that to be theologically correct, we talk about God loving us first. But, But I'm not so sure that that I really always get that. We, we need to be cautious about subtle thinking that allows us to believe that, that somehow we were rewarded for seeking God. Because Paul has just built a case through his first three chapters in particular, and a bit of four, quoting from the Psalms and the Prophets when he says, and we've heard these words before, there is no one righteous, Paul says. Not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. And now we've read this morning, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In verse 7, Paul says at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. It's important that we not miss the significance of those two words that he uses there. Ungodly is a word that is used often in Scripture to describe people who have no place for God in their lives. They are the center of their universe. There is nothing that speaks more clearly to the sin nature of rebellion that is resident in the heart of the human being than to have no place for God in one's life. Those are the ungodly of Scripture. And then that word that he uses, powerless, 
Well, guess what that means? Powerless. It means we can't do it. That is who we were, and there was not a thing we could do about it. And so Christ, Paul says, Christ died for the ungodly when they were powerless to be anything other than ungodly. Ungodly people do not seek after God before God seeks after them. And that is the kind of person that God seeks after. The kind of person that God loves and acts toward. That is a description of every human being apart from the redemptive work of Jesus. Why on earth does he do that? Because John says, he is love. That is his nature. God is love. And that is what real love does. It pursues people who who do not and cannot pursue him. And yet remember, it's the pursuit of people at the expense of himself. God is as righteous and holy as he is loving and gracious. And so his love and his grace towards us does not come at the expense of his righteousness and his holiness. Thus, it is Jesus who takes upon himself our sins. I read the sweetest story of a, of a mother this week. It was at 3 a.m. in the morning. She was sitting at the bedside of her rebellious son. And the son is just passed out in a drunken stupor and she's just kind of softly stroking his hair and kind of singing over him and praying for him as he lays there passed out. Her husband woke and found her missing and went looking for her and finds her in in the boy's room. And he asked her, he says, what are you doing? She answered, well, he won't let me love him when he's awake. The mother had stepped into her son's darkness with a love that existed even though he did not yet love her back. That is what God has done for us. Stepped into our darkness and loved us before we had any desire for him. God loved us first. And it was his love that pursued us. But not only did he, he love us first, as, as we've heard from texts and from some of your comments, he loved us when we were unlovable. And again, Paul's words that, that we have focused on this morning, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sinners. Sometimes we probably need to let that word sink in a little bit more than we do. Let's be honest. This is a familiar truth. And and it's maybe one that we have the most trouble with. Okay, maybe it's one that I have the most trouble with. Maybe you can't relate to this at all. We know that it's theologically correct, but something in us wants to be worthy of his love and of the forgiveness that he provided for us in Christ. You know, I'm, 
I'm okay with thinking that there is nothing in you that merits God's love. But, yeah, I'm a pretty nice person, really. I mean, there are a lot of people who have done worse things. That's where we go in our minds. We categorize sins. And, and we, we don't understand that it's not the sins, plural, that, that have a standing before God in judgment. It is the sin of a rebellious heart that has rejected him and his rightful place in our lives as creator, one who is worthy of our worship and our praise. And I think that this may be the reason that we struggle sometimes to, to love certain people. They're just not worthy of our love. And neither were we worthy of his love. They haven't been kind to us. They haven't shown us love. Well, neither were we kind to the God who made us for himself. Neither did we show him love. Paul says that God demonstrates his love. That word can mean to show or to prove. It was not enough for God to feel love. He acted upon that love because that is, again, what God does. And because that is so, I think it can give us confidence for a familiar truth, number three, and that is this one. In his love, God gave us the very best. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. For God so loved the world that he gave. If you're like me, this time of the year, you're thinking of people who you both want to give gifts to, and you're thinking of people who you should probably give a gift to. You enjoy a whole lot more of that first category than you do the second category. And what I find is that those folks in the second category don't really merit as much quality or thought or, or investment in their gift. There is only one gift for sinful humanity. God doesn't have a bunch of different ones. For this category, this will suffice. No, the sin of rebellion is so serious that it takes the best gift that God has to make things right. He offers to those who have rebelled against Him no matter where they live, no matter what they look like, no matter who they are, He offers them the gift of forgiveness through his son. My brothers and sisters, familiar truths, but truths that I think those of us who are the people of God need to to give some serious attention to. We need to call out, perhaps more often than we do, for the Holy Spirit to, to make these truths come to life anew in our minds so that we begin to live as the people of God who are loved so, so dearly. Praise team, why don't you come on up and, and prepare to lead us as we respond. And as they come, I want to 
I want to ask a question. What will you do with God's gift for you in this season? If you are a child of God, you are someone who has put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus. My prayer is that you will think often, think again and again about the amazing gift that God has given to you, the gift of himself to pay the price for your rebellion so that you might become a part of his family both in this life and for all of eternity. You know, that should have a wow factor in our lives that is just off the charts. You know, and there may be some here this morning who you've, you've never accepted that gift. And, and I say it that way because the gift is available for all, but if in your life it is just a gift that you have not received into your life and allowed to begin to impact and change your life, then the gift of God's great love is doing you no good whatsoever. And I would encourage you, even today, if you're sitting here this morning and and you want to know, how can I make this gift a part of my life? How can I receive this gift? And how can I begin to live my life in this love relationship that God has made possible? Ask someone before you go this morning. Ask me. Ask anybody. Don't leave without finding out how you can be the recipient of God's greatest gift. Gift of love made possible through His Son, Jesus. And out of that gift flows the other gifts that we have looked at. Peace and joy and hope. Because all has been made right through the sacrifice of God's Son, sent in the form of a baby, so that He might live and die and become the atonement, the love offering 